as we're going through the the early parts of the Gospels this week, I was really impacted again by just the the simple thought in John chapter one verse fourteen, where it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we're we're reading about this amazing Messiah who ha, has become God has become flesh. He's come down to be with mankind and to save mankind, not just from our sin, but to restore us into a relationship with our heavenly father, to gather to himself a family from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And I just was reflecting about the beauty of the, the annual feast cycle and what the Lord is saying through Sukkot. And just as we look through the gospels this year, as we're reading through them to put the lenses on of Looking at his heart, um, there's so many amazing stories, obviously, his interactions um, with so many different people across so many different scenarios. But I think John chapter 1, verse 14 really nails it because in, in the Greek translation, that word there is he tabernacled with us. And so tonight I'm just sharing about the God who tabernacles. Uh, and this is his dream from the very, very beginning. You know, to think about a creator who created all that he created, called it good, set man, mankind in the garden because he wanted to be with us. He, he love, he's, he's a God of love. He's a God of uh, community. He's generous. He shares. And he created us for himself. He created us to be in relationship with him. And the links that he goes to as we read the Gospels, God becoming flesh to rescue us from our own sin and, and the own our own desperate situations. And so I want to look today as we're going through Sukkot with what this particular feast, it's the last feast in the Feast of the Lord, the annual cycle. And each one of the feasts are so remarkable in what they reveal to us about God and specifically about Yeshua. But as we're reading through the Gospels, I just want to look at what the Feast of Tabernacles is telling us about the God who tabernacles with us. And so let's dive in here. I'm really going to touch on seven things. By no means is this exhaustive or, or comprehensive, but seven keys that I believe are their insights into God and into us, into our journey as humans with him uh, in this feast. And then I'm going to share a few thoughts with you about some things that have been happening over here in the UK that Nicole and I have been experiencing that are, that kind of connect to this tonight. And then we'll just open it up for conversation and discussion like we always do. So the first key that I want to touch on about Sukkot is the, the, the key, the insight of this is a celebration of, of pilgrimage. When the Lord gives uh, the feast to Israel, he is telling them, that for one week out of the year, he wants them as a community to live in temporary shelters or sukkah. And this will commemorate the 40 years that they dwelt in shelters when they were wandering in the wilderness. You know, Israel was on a pilgrimage to the promised land. And so their story, which happened in the past, becomes a metaphor for us right now in our present. Uh, because we're told that we're on our way to a promised land. And that this, this world is not our home. This body is temporary. And so there's something in, in the Lord's heart for us to reflect on every year 
as we come into this, this feast to remember that this, this world's not our home, that he is our home. And, and this story of how he took care of Israel in the wilderness and the story of them dwelling in shelters is speaking to us about deep spiritual truths about the very nature of God and about our, our nature as humans. And so the Bible calls us sojourners. It calls us pilgrims in this life. We're strangers and aliens. And so Sukkot is a great time to shed ourselves from uh, all of the trappings, all of the, the snares and the traps that this world tries to ensnare the human heart with, where we're trying to fill eternal longings that exist in our heart in temporary containers that this world offers. There's not enough money. There's not enough power. There's not enough job titles or anything in, in life that's going to satisfy the human soul. We are made for eternity and we're made for an eternity in the presence of God. And so we, these longings in us are only found in one place. You know, I love what St. Augustine said that uh, the human heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. The Lord wants to remind us of the story that we're on a journey somewhere. You know, there's a difference between nomads and pilgrims. You know, a nomad and pilgrim are both wanderers. But a nomad is wandering always in search of resources, trying to scratch a living off the land wherever they can find food, water, and shelter. But a pilgrim is, though they are a wanderer, a pilgrim has a destination that's locked into their heart. And I love Psalm 84. It says, blessed is the man who sets his heart on a pilgrimage to Zion. I love that. You know, Zion is, is the place where God dwells. He set his name in Zion. And so the Bible is calling us to this spiritual journey, the spiritual pilgrimage out from the world and into the kingdom of light. Out from Babylon, calling us into the new Jerusalem. And so every year we have this beautiful opportunity to reflect on this journey with the Lord as he's called us as pilgrims and he's with us on our pilgrimage. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is the culminating feast in his annual cycle where it's the, 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 the chief celebration uh, and it points us to so many wonderful realities about the Lord. So key number two that we're going to look at in, in this feast is the, is the theme of provision. God is our provider. Over and over and over and over again, we continue to see how the Lord provides for his people. And so at, at its heart, Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration. It's a thanksgiving for the fall harvest. And so we're thanking God for the bounty of his provision in our lives. We're looking back at the story of Israel, how he provided for them. Their shoes never wore out. He took care of them physically. He fed them every day with manna from heaven. This was what the food that angels ate. He was giving his people daily provision for all that they needed in their life. He'd lead them to where there was fresh water. He gave them meat on different occasions, but he was taking care of his people. And so this is a key principle for us to come to the Lord. You know, the Bible teaches us that, and we've talked about it many times on Bread for the Journey, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He not only provides for us our, our daily physical provisions, but how much more has he provided the ultimate spiritual provision for us in the person of Jesus, his son? 
And so this is a perfect time for us to reflect on Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who is my provider. He's taking care of me in the past. He's, we thank him for what he's taking care of us in, in this year, how he's got testimony upon testimony of how he's taken care of each one of us through this year and brought us to this very moment. And it points us to the ultimate fulfillment. He's going to provide for us a, a resurrected body and eternal life to celebrate with him forever. And so hope infuses this celebration of tabernacles, connects us to our God in, in thanksgiving for who he is and how he's provided so much. Uh, he's provided everything for us in life and godliness, and he's supplied for us and provided his son. What, what more could he give us than he's already given? And so the festival of, of Sukkot is a time where we come and reflect on, on just how much he's provided for us, and we thank him for that provision. Uh, the third key we'll touch on is guidance. So I've already talked about pilgrimage. Uh, the Lord was guiding his people throughout all of the, all of their wanderings by his presence. There was the pillar of cloud by day and his pillar of fire by night. And just as a father would guide his children, the Lord was there in the midst of his people. And if you could imagine what that might've looked like in the center of the camp, was the tabernacle of Moses. And it said that the presence of the Lord was there. Uh, the whole camp could see it. And so there's a visible representation of his presence with them. Moses is meeting with God face to face in the tent of meeting. And the pillar of cloud or the would guide them during the day if they were to, to move camp. Uh, and the pillar of fire would guide them at night. In all of their wanderings, it was his presence with them that illuminated the next steps in their journey. And so this is, as we think back to that story, we are, are grateful to the Lord for his guidance in our lives, that just as he was with Israel, he is dwelling with us. The Lord said he would never leave us or forsake us, even unto the end of the age. And so we have his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We have the comforter. The, the Holy Spirit is with us as we make decisions every day and we're connected uh, to him and we're praying and asking him for direction in our lives, the Holy Spirit's right there as our helper to light the way for us in key decisions in our lives. Um, his word obviously is there for us to, to meditate on and chew on and, and just get it into our hearts uh, as, a, as a reservoir of truth that we can feast on that he can point us to in times of need. He's our great shield and our guide. The Lord would so often protect his people, uh, surrounding them with his goodness. Uh, you know, the, we obviously have the story when they come to the Red Sea and the Lord is there and delivers them from their enemies. And so he is with us as our shield as we go through this life. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is a great time to thank God for his guidance and to remember his goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness. And that we come into this place of resting in the finished work of Jesus, uh, the shed blood of Christ on the cross and all that that is availed for us and provided for us in, in his presence with us in our lives. So moving on to key number four is the concept of family. 
And so when the Lord originally tells Israel that he wants them to celebrate this feast, this is found in, in Leviticus 23. He basically says that he wants them to tell their children and the generations that come what he did for them in the wilderness. And so it's a reliving of this, of this wilderness experience in this temporary shelter. And so you can imagine families are, are living in these shelters for a week. Fathers and mothers are explaining to sons and daughters exactly what God did for them. And so it's a time of testimony and it's a time of passing on the truth to the generations of those that are coming uh, beyond us. You know, I love this aspect of the feasts uh, because really this, you know, the idea of the, the priesthood of all believers with Israel, the priests certainly carried the ceremonial traditions and the ceremonial requirements before the Lord in the temple. But every feast, most of them were celebrated right around the family table. And so there was a, a priestly responsibility, even in the home of every Israelite, to celebrate the Passover together. And, and Sukkot is another one where uh, it's, it's intimate. It's a round of table. There's food. It's a celebration. And the the, the calling of husbands and, and wives to lead their children in the truth and in the way that in the story to retell the story of who God is and what he's done for us as a people. And so Sukkot is a great opportunity to tell great stories. And it's a time of testimonies around the family table. It also points us to the future because it's a engrafting of the nations. You know, uh, this is the one feast where, um, you know, Israel to this day will welcome Gentiles. If you, you could go to the most orthodox neighborhood in Israel as a Gentile, and most of the time they're not going to welcome you in. But if you go at this time of year, they consider it a great blessing to welcome a Gentile guest or stranger into their sukkah. Um, and actually in Nehemiah, when they celebrate, uh, the Lord tells them to gather wild olive branches and, and myrtle branches and bring them together. So you have this, this vision of, of really what Paul's talking about in Romans 11 of the, the Gentile nations being grafted in to, the, to Israel in the commonwealth. And so the, they're looking up at the stars through these branches. And so ultimately, this is a picture of Revelation 7, where every tribe and tongue has been, a remnant from every tribe and tongue has been engrafted into the commonwealth of Israel by the shed blood of Jesus. Our faith has united us in him as the, the, the Christ, the Messiah. Matthew chapter 8, as he's preaching to Israel, he tells the Jews there, he says, many Gentiles are going to come from the east and the west, and they're going to come and sit at the table with Abraham. And so I believe that that is a, a reference directly to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which this is also emblematic of as a feast, that it's a family gathering. We're celebrating um, the bridegroom and the bride coming into oneness. Uh, and entering into, as a family, the joy of the Lord. And so that's why family is such a key element as we celebrate Sukkot together. The fifth concept that we want to touch on is uh, deliverance and freedom. You know, again, the Lord has delivered Israel out of Egypt, and Sukkot is taking place in their wanderings. And so he's walking them progressively from bondage into freedom and we call that in our christian journey we call it sanctification 
you know, wherever we are when God finds us and brings us into a conscious life of surrender and submission and, and where we embrace Christ as Lord and we're born again, uh, he begins to work with us, discipleship. He begins to take us on a journey of greater and greater levels of freedom. We go from glory to glory, from strength to strength. He helps us overcome challenges in our lives. And, and so Sukkot becomes a celebration of that freedom. Uh, we're no longer slaves. I love that song. And, and obviously, uh, Passover is a great time to celebrate this too. But as we embrace what the Lord has done to set us free from the bondage of sin and shame and, and to, to bring us into the, the wonderful light, the kingdom of light, where it was for freedom that we've been set free. You know, and I was reflecting recently, you know, we obviously talk a lot about Jesus setting us free from sin, but he sets us free from so many other things as well. You know, Jesus is free from the fear of man. He wants us to be free from the fear of man. He's free from the expectations of his family. Um, he wants us to be free from the expectations of other people that, 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 that we could be free to be who we are fully in him. Uh, and I just love watching Jesus move in absolute freedom. He's free from uh, political power. Uh, you know, when he's in front of Pilate, uh, you know, Pilate thinks he has all the power in that uh, scenario. And Jesus says, you have no other power other than what my father in heaven has given you. And so Jesus is just this model of the free life that we have available to us in God. And he's walking us into progressive, more and more measures of that freedom as we walk with him. And, and so Sukkot becomes a natural expression of that celebration of freedom that we experience in Christ. Um, he's free from the, the, the allure of the world. And he's free from money and the power of mammon. And so he's, he's walking us into these things as he's our Lord. So that's why deliverance and freedom is one of these key concepts to think about, meditate on, reflect on during Sukkot. The sixth insight that I want to focus in on is, is the new Jerusalem. And so we touched on earlier how we're on a pilgrimage and that pilgrims have a destination kind of locked in to their heart as they go on their journey. And Sukkot, while we can look at it as something that points us to the past, what God has done for Israel specifically in history, it can point to us to what God is doing with us as believers right now in our lives, and we can enter into the joy of the Lord in the present moment. Sukkot also in many ways points us to the future, to this ultimate consummation in the kingdom of God. And so in that way, Sukkot is the coming together of the bridegroom and the bride and the, the, the wedding supper of the lamb. And so this is a time for us to meditate on the, the beauty that the Lord has in store for us as his people in the new Jerusalem. You know, this is what the Bible calls is our blessed hope is the return of Christ. And he sets up his kingdom on the earth. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. Um, he wipes away every tear. He heals every pain. He rights every wrong. Swords are beaten into plowshares. Lions are laying down with the lambs. And there's peace and goodwill 
on earth. And there's the, the macro level restoration that the Lord has been working towards from the very beginning when human humanity fell in the garden. He's been progressively leading us to a, a, a time which uh, in the Hebrew says the tikkun ha'olam, the restoration of all things. And so Sukkot is this time where we feast and we worship and we celebrate and we're in fellowship koinonia together and we are telling each other the good news that though there's trials in this life, though there's tribulations, though life isn't easy and we go through trouble and there's challenge all around us, don't let your heart be hardened. Don't give up hope. Remember who God is and remember where he's taking us. And as Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, he says, don't think about things on the earth, but set your mind on things above because your life is hidden in Christ and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And this is a time of reflecting on our lives are hidden in Christ and we need to be meditating and thinking about these things, dreaming about what this is going to be. You know, God's given us an amazing, amazing imagination. We can uh, set our imagination on carnal things. We can uh, let our minds focus on problems and issues and, and things that we're struggling with, uh, which is, is always a temptation. But Sukkot is a time where every year the Lord is wanting us to cast our vision to the future that he has planned for his people. And Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even conceive of what God has planned for his people. And so the new Jerusalem becomes a point of emphasis and focus uh, as we walk through the concepts here in the Feast of Tabernacles. And ultimately that one leads us to the ultimate meditation for me in this season that I've really been thinking a lot about. All of these other insights lead up to this one. And it's where we started the conversation tonight with John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And that is the concept of dwelling. And to let it impact our hearts in a fresh way, that the Lord wants to dwell with us. Our sin, as monstrous and awful as it is, he has paid the ultimate price to bring us close to himself, not as dutiful servants, but he is longing for us to operate in through the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. And so in the Garden of Eden, there was God, mankind, and creation in perfect harmony and oneness. We were created as his image bearers to steward that creation for him and with him. We all know that the fall occurs and the rest of the story is really how God is going to rescue and redeem mankind from death and from sin. And so at the end of the story, there's this picture again of the new Jerusalem and God, it says, uh, there will be no need for the sun and the moon and the stars because God will be our light. He will, we will be his people and he will be our God. And there it is. That's the dream and the desire of our heavenly father, that he would be our God and we would be his people. 
that there would be a father and that there would be sons and daughters, that there would be a family united together in oneness. And you, you hear this pouring out of Jesus in John 17 in the high priestly prayer as he's praying for not just the disciples that were with him right there, but for all who would ever believe in him, that the glory that the father had given him, he's given to us and that we would be one as he is one with the father. And so Sukkot becomes a celebration and a longing, a place of worship and, and offering ourselves to the Lord. He's been teaching me this year, along with Nicole, while we've been in the UK. I want to share just a couple of stories. Let me just check the time. Yeah, we have, we have some time. And this will all connect back to Sukkot. You'll just have to go on a little journey with me here, a little testimony time. But um, when we first got to the UK in September of 2022, I had a remarkable prophetic encounter in a plane. Uh, it was a private aircraft with a prophet here in the UK. His name is Nick Skiller. I won't go into the whole story. It would take me about 30 minutes to even tell you everything that happened there, but it was really profound. And uh, Arnie Klein from Israel called in right when we were in the midst of this incredible encounter in the plane. And the ultimate calling that the Lord gave us. It was, you know, I'm, I'm American, Nick's British and Arnie's Israeli. And so, you know, the Lord is speaking to the body of Christ in this time. And it was right after uh, Queen Elizabeth had passed away and a time of great shifting in the powers and principalities, spiritual powers in the heavenly places. And the Lord was basically calling us to, uh, to have a gathering, but not a normal worship gathering. There'd be no preaching, there'd be no teaching, there'd be no human-to-human uh, -human horizontal ministry for one another. It was clear that what the Lord was calling us to was a, a time of vertical worship, 100% ministry to the Lord. And it needed to happen before Charles was coronated uh, in the spring. And so there's a, a long story of how the Lord led us to a particular place here in Britain to, to have that meeting. We didn't brand it with a ministry. We didn't market it. It was the Lord showed us who needed to be invited. And there was about 30 of us that came and it was one of the most unique worship experiences I've ever had. The night before Passover, we prayed through the night. There's a number of us that just did, took an hour here and an hour there because the Lord, you know, uh, during the Passover, when he was crucified, he, he said, would you not tarry? Could you not tarry with me for one hour? And so as a community that met there, we just decided to pray through the night. And then we we met in a, in a room and we just dedicated the room to the Lord and said, you know, this is, it's 100% for you. We're not going to talk. We're not going to be on our phones. It's not going to be business as usual. We're just going to wait in the presence of the Lord. So there was times of stillness. Um, there was times of, of high worship. Um, but there was, we, we, the first couple hours were a little bit difficult. We had to settle down because it wasn't what any of us were really used to. But towards the, the, the latter part of the day, as we, we shifted in, we arrived at a place of oneness that is hard to put into words other than just that that's what happened. We were just directing our worship to the Lord as though he were right in that room with us. And we were enthroning him in our praise because again, that's, the calling that came out of that powerful prophetic experience in September. And so my wife, actually, Nicole had an amazing encounter 
in this time, uh, which is a story in of itself, um, where the Lord really revealed to her some powerful revelation um, from Psalm 110, verse 3, which talks about, it, number one, it's a coronation psalm, which was a confirmation to what the Lord had called us to do. But Psalm 110, verse 3, says that in the day of my power, my people will offer themselves willingly from the womb of the dawn, and I will array them with splendors from the womb of the dawn. And so the Lord was really ministering to Nicole in a very powerful, profound way in that place. And she didn't even share that experience until none of us were sharing what the Lord was doing with us personally in that meeting. We, when it came to an end, we, we broke and we had the Passover Seder meal together as a celebration. And then we processed after that. And there were, there was, I don't know how many hours, eight, 10 hours of time that we had spent that day. It was after the dinner that we were really starting to process and people were sharing and there were so many confirmations uh, about what the spirit was revealing to people. And we all, many of us had many uh, interesting, just times with personal times with the Lord in that, in that space. But it was really the next day, Nicole didn't even know all that the Lord was downloading to her that, or even where it was from in the scripture until the, the following day. And we were driving uh, back to Cornwall with friends. And so remember that this was vertical worship. The Lord had called us to enthrone Jesus in praise before the coronation of Charles. And so we're driving home and we're processing still all that happened the day before. And Nicole is continuing to talk about this experience uh, out of Psalm 110, verse 3. And we just begin to pray. And it was during that time, I just felt a little whisper from the Holy Spirit. Keep your head on a swivel. I'm going to show you something, Jed. And so we're driving down the down the road praying with our friends and this big truck comes pulling by on our left-hand side. And sometimes the Lord speaks to me this way. On the back panel of the truck says the words, follow the leader. I'm like, well, you know, okay, Lord, you're going to show me something. We're following Yeshua. And on the side panel of the truck though, uh, it's a construction product product. But the words heavy-duty vertical bonding are in huge letters on the side of the truck. So I was taking pictures of this truck. Like, wow, Lord, okay, you told me you're going to show us something. This is a direct confirmation. where We followed you to what you were calling us to do, which was to enthrone Jesus. You spoke so powerfully to Nicole and then to our group out of Psalm 110, which is a coronation psalm. And, and now with a little, I could see the twinkle in, in, in the Lord's eye when he's, you know, heavy duty vertical bonding, um, just a confirmation of him calling his people into this kind of gathering. And, uh, you know, we had been talking with Arnie Klein some uh, in Israel as well, and he's been doing this for 30 years, really, really fascinating brother in, in Christ. And he's been, what, what they'll do is gather for 10 days and they'll spend several hours in worship with groups of people, maybe 10, 10 people at a time, who will come for 10 days at a time. And they'll he's done over 50 of these groups now. Um, and so we've just been receiving from Arnie the simple reality that what, what would it be like if we didn't bring our petitions to God all the time? 
What if we just sat next to him? Because for him, for his heart, it's what he died for. It's what he wants. It's not what he can do for me. It isn't what I need him to do for me. Although I'm not saying petitions wrong uh, at all. Of course, we're told in the Bible to bring our petitions, but what if there's a, there's a place where we could just sit with him and be with him? And not even, not even to get revelation from him, but just because we know in his heart he's a father and he's longing to be with us. And we just present ourselves as that living sacrifice out of Romans 12, one or or we make ourselves that willing offering in out of Psalm one ten verse three, that Lord here I am. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not declaring a bunch of things, and I'm not I'm not just going to sing songs. Although there's certainly a place for all those things to take place, but we're going to enter into a this place of stillness, and you know what mother or father out there if their child were to come and they're sitting on the couch and sit down and you know the son or the daughter puts their head on mother's shoulder or the father's shoulder and just sits there for 30 minutes what mother or father would pull away and it's that connection that is in the very heart of god that's his dream that he's going to dwell with us that that there's this intimacy heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit oneness. And so that was in April when I just shared this story with you about the heavy-duty vertical bonding. But here's an interesting thing. Two things happened this time that we've been back to the UK. Went back to Cornwall. And so I was with our friends who were with us in the car for heavy-duty vertical bonding. Their name is John and Jules Butterworth. And we were at the Butterworth's home in Newquay, Cornwall. And I just come in and I was catching up with John. And he says, you know, Jed, I got to show you something. He's like, the bricks in my garden were starting to crumble and break. And so I went on online. I just typed in my search engine, strong adhesive outdoor bond. And I ordered the first product that came up that was highly rated from a quality perspective. I didn't even look at the name. I just clicked it. I was in a rush. It arrived two days ago before you get here. And he goes to the back room and he brings out a tube of glue. And it is the exact product that was on that truck, heavy duty vertical bonding. And so catch this now. He shows us a concept on the truck. And now I'm in Cornwall and I'm holding that concept in my hand. So prophetically, um, I believe what the spirit is saying is it's now. It's I've set this in your hand. This is a now word. I didn't do anything to arrange anything. John didn't even know what he was ordering. This was a, a coincidence. But when you we flipped over the, the this glue, I'm not kidding you. I've got pictures I can show you. It says uh, revolutionary tribrid technology try as in three and one <laughs> and it says you don't need additional fittings or structures or supports with this product 
and it says it's heavily resistant to the elements. And so we believe this is a, uh, an end times word that the Lord who wants to tabernacle with us, the Lord who's always wanted to dwell with us, the end time strategy is his presence. It's not going to be storing up weapons in a bunker somewhere or, you know, thousands of cans of kidney beans. Although if he tells you to do that, do it. But the Lord is calling us to himself. Jesus is the end time strategy. And this is the end times oil in Matthew chapter 25, where there's the, the five wise and the five foolish bridesmaids and the five wise. They all have oil to begin with. It's just that the five wise have an extra flask. And, and we believe that this is the, the spirit is calling his church to himself in this season of great shaking and turmoil. You know, we're coming out of COVID. It blows my mind sometimes to think about, you know, five years ago, if I were to tell you there's going to be a worldwide pandemic, Europe will be in, in the, the largest land war since World War II and will be on the cusp of a nuclear uh, strike. And that the United States government will have websites dedicated to uh, UFOs. And that, that the United States government is going to claim that they have off-world vehicles. You would have laughed me out of the building. But in just five years, these things are happening. And the shakings aren't going to diminish. And what do we do when God shakes everything that can be shaken? He's shaking everything that can be shaken so that only his kingdom will remain. And so cleave to the king. And heavy duty vertical bonding is this. I, I think it's a twinkle in his eye. It's his way of communicating to my heart. Uh, and I'm going to deliver the message to brothers and sisters wherever he tells me to. It's this invitation for us to glue ourselves to God. But the story gets even better. So I'll, tell, I'll finish with this, this final testimony on this. So I'm holding that bottle of glue early September. And then on September 15th, I was up in Yorkshire with Nick Skiller, who was with me in the plane when we had that prophetic experience last September at 22. And I happened to be on the phone. Uh, a, a friend from Israel called. I hadn't talked to him in many months. And I was telling him about heavy-duty vertical bonding. And uh, he says, you know, Jed, I just listened to a Messianic leader here preaching. And he preaches out of Deuteronomy 10, verse 20. And he said, um, you know, the Lord, in this passage, the Lord is commanding his people, Israel, to cleave to him. But he says that word in the Hebrew is devakut, and it means glue. So when you read the word cleave in scripture, whether it's cleaving to the Lord or for this reason, a man will cleave to his wife and the two will become one. That word cleave literally means glue. And so you got to catch the progression. He shows us the concept on a truck. He puts the glue in my hands. And now he's shown me from the word of God that this concept has been there the entire time. And so Sukkot 
the 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 calling of Christ, the calling and invitation throughout all scripture, the Lord repeatedly is holding his arms out to us, saying, come to me, glue yourself to me, cleave to me. And he's cleaving to us. You know, Jesus cleaved to the cross for us. And so as we are reading through the gospels and we're celebrating Sukkot tonight, and this week, uh, I just wanted to share a little bit of my heart with you on things that I feel are, are really personal uh, that the Lord has been showing me that are so encouraging to me. Um, and we're moving into, it's a whole other story, but we're going to be moving into more of these heavy duty vertical bonding sessions with believers. We'll be doing it more and more here in the UK. And also for those of you in Greenville, there should be a heavy-duty vertical bonding session coming to you in the near future, Lord willing. Uh, and we'll we'll do it wherever the Lord leads. But for us to hear his heart uh, from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden all the way through where he's taking us, that he longs to be with us and he longs to for he, he wants to cleave to us and he wants us to cleave to him. So I don't know all that's going on in your world right now, but uh, I just believe. As you grab a hold of this and you glue yourself to God, his peace and his grace and his comfort and his presence will light up your life and will light up your home, will light up your marriage, will light up your workplace, will light up your family, will light up your heart in a fresh way in this season. So it's so good to be with you guys tonight. Um, I'm going to pause there and just open up for conversation and anything that anyone would like to comment on. One thing that struck me was when you pointed out family and how God wants us to to dwell with him as, as basically as a family dwelling with him. And he's, he's touching our hearts. Even now in this season that we see and we see where the family is in turmoil each and every day, um, where it's just uh, destroying, that's the enemy's whole plot is destroy the family. And he's coming piece by piece by piece. Um, but we know that God is greater than 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 the enemy, and how God is going to work it all out. But um, I, I got the the cleave, which I found very, very. I've uh, never heard that definition before about the glue, and it makes sense. It makes sense. It's just like cleave and become one. And I'm just like it. Just it that just gave me a whole new look at the word when I read it now in scriptures. Like he wants us glued to him, super glued to him. And um, and and I think in in this time that we're in, we need to be, we need to be because our focus is being taken off everything and 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 everything else has been put in its place um, is to get our minds off of God. These things we often say like he was glued to his device, right? Their eyes were glued to the screen. It's interesting, you know. The Lord was showing me too that something for us all to think about and pray about. You know, because Babylon is 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 everywhere. But it's interesting that that the internet's called the World Wide Web. And webs are sticky. When you get stuck in a web, you are you're trapped, right? And I think about how many devices, how many apps, how much screen time, how much work, particularly for the young generation. I mean, we can all, you know be suspect to it. I was talking to people who 
are in their seventies and they were telling me about, they remember when television just came out black and white here. And, you know, that was on from like five to 8 PM. And, and now there's thousands of channels and it's like, we can be glued to so many other things. You're going to be glued to something. And we just get to choose what we're going to be glued to or specifically who we're going to be glued to. You know, just the little thing you talk about the web and how we are connected all over the world by the internet. I mean, I am one who came from Africa and for the longest time, there were certain sets of values that were not compromised, certain African traditions. But because of that connection um, that people have been connected to the Western world, we are seeing somewhat of a shift in morals and values, uh, an adoption of certain morals that that really our, our elderly parents would say today that, that that's not what we used to do. That's not how we used to behave. This is not how our young men acted, or this is not how our young women acted back in the day. And when I think about what you just mentioned about the connection that we have with the whole world, really, it's it speaks volumes because now you mentioned another thing that it, it's it's what we choose to be glued to, and and how we choose and how we allow those things to affect us. It, it is true that even in, even in the internet, the move of God, uh, and there is the move of our enemy. Uh, the question is really where we we choose to connect ourselves and be glued to, and I, I find that to be very powerful, Pastor Jed. Uh, thank you. That is. That is really giving me another angle to explain, you know, the, the 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 benefits and the dangers of opening ourselves up to the world wide web and receiving that which is, you know, not holy or holy, and that it does have an effect on on how we live, and it, it does create change. Maybe not immediate, but over time, you see, it's drifting away of certain morals and standards that used to be part of your culture to something that no longer is so so it is it is these times to to consider what does it mean to come out of babylon you know the lord does not say fight babylon he doesn't say try to reform it he says come out from it and what does it mean and we're how do we walk that out um i think these are important questions and you can be in babylon but not of babylon uh, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, um, it is possible. Like you can't, in order to fully leave Babylon, you'd have to leave the earth right now. Um, and so, you know, I don't believe this is, uh, you know, to, you know, throw your mobile phone in a lake and, you know, go off grid. I don't hear me saying that. But I think entering into j just being aware of the the lure that Babylon has out there for the hearts of human beings, you know, and God wants our heart. And so I think, uh, you know, Terrence was saying, um, you know, God is using the internet too. So is the enemy. And, and I think wherever the human heart, the, that's the battlefield. So God is going to be moving within all these things, trying to rescue human hearts and, and bring them into the kingdom of light. The, the old proverb when it comes to our friends, you know, bad company corrupts good character and who we hang out with is going to have a lot of influence on on our own journey. And, and so surrounding ourselves with those, at least the people that we trust the most, brothers and sisters in the Lord that we can walk with, 
like like my brother Bernie Dorsey, uh, who I'm assuming you're here, bro. Um, waiting waiting for the man of God to make an utterance, but we'll see if he's if he might not be in a place where he can share. But uh... <laughs> I mean, with with that invitation, how how can I not? Well, <laughs> hey, um, I, I'm I'm definitely excited about uh, hearing this teaching tonight and. Uh, hopefully the place that I'm preaching Sunday uh, has not been on this call because you said about three of the things I'm planning on preaching about on Sunday uh, about about uh, Sukkot. Uh, so, but Jed, honestly, I what has jumped out at me tonight is uh, the the process that you were engaged in uh, to to really hear from the Lord. It reminds me of Acts 13. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked so many times about Acts 13. And, um, you know, it, it says that, you know, in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, right? And it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, then the Holy Spirit spoke, separate from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And it, it it's like they are... All they're doing is ministering to the Lord. When you were describing some of this earlier, you said it wasn't a time, I mean, when you were there, it, it wasn't an intention to minister to each other. You know, you're you're not giving prophetic words to each other. It's just about the vertical bonding. And that's what they were doing in Acts 13. It was vertical bonding, simply ministering to the Lord. Ministering to the Lord. And I don't know how often we do that as members of the body. I'm sure that, maybe, well, put it this way, I, I don't do it enough. I'll say that. Um, but there's there's something very powerful about just the concept and then performing that ministering to the Lord, ministering to the Lord. It's not anyone else uh, that, that, that you're ministering to. It's, it's, as you said in our conversation, sometimes it's, it's the audience of one, mm. you know, ministering to him. And what a beautiful place that is to be. Uh, you don't need 120 like they were on the day of Pentecost. You don't need three. You don't need two. It can be just you ministering to the Lord ministering to the Lord. Those words are just resonating in my spirit tonight as, as I consider what you've been talking about, ministering to the Lord, ministering to the Lord, how he and he alone is the focus and how when we enter that place where, where he's the focus, it's like that's what everything is really all about. Sukkot the whole redemption story, it's about taking us to that one place and that place is a person. It's him. Yeah. It's all about connecting with him. He's our home and he's our destination. And you're, you're so right. We don't do this. I think that's what I think was so part of the journey that we've been on is with all of our programs, you know, I guess I'm, I'm 47 and I've been a believer for, I don't know, 32 years. 
And so I've been in hundreds of, and if not thousands and thousands of hours of different worship settings, whether it be a congregation in America or another nation or houses of prayer. Um, we've led lots of meetings ourselves and we've uh, done intercession and prayer watches and, and, you know, I'm a worship leader with my wife. This is, and the Lord was very clear with me, you have not walked this way before. And that's been something that in our, in our own personal journey, just realizing without, without realizing we've, we come into the Lord's presence with an agenda. We come in with a plan and, and we are the ones dictating what takes place in that interaction. Um, and I think, and the Lord meets us in that, you know, he's very kind uh, he showed me a picture the other day and, and as I was praying and you guys have probably seen it, something like it, like a, a huge parking lot with weeds kind of coming up through the concrete and I, and I, Lord, what am I seeing? And I just felt the Lord was showing me something about the church and that, you know, he's like, Jed, I, I've met my people with all of the man-made structures that they've overlaid, I've, I've met, met them and broken through that concrete and there's been fruit. There's been growth. There's been discipleship. There's been miracles. There's been, the gospel has advanced. It's not been a failure, but what happens if you pull up the concrete and that grass can grow where it was designed to grow organically? And that's, I think this is a, a restoration back to the very beginning of the Ecclesia where the rhythms that the early believers were engaging in, it was not an organization or an institution. It wasn't a professionalized ministry priesthood. They were meeting in homes and they were giving themselves to the breaking of bread, koinonia, prayer, and the word. I think this type of relating to God doesn't replace everything we do, but it's like we add this piece in and say there should be time in our week where we are we're quiet and we're we're sensitive and we're just like there. Lord, we're here to minister just to you. This isn't the time. There are times for the intercession watch. There are times for the uh, for preaching, teaching, equipping, prophesying. There's times to do all those things. But I like what my friend Arnie Klein says: the heart of the Lord is the greatest mission field in the world, his heart. And so is the, is there a space where, where it's just us and him saying, it's Lord, I'm, I'm here for no other reason than to love you and give myself to you. Whatever you want to do, your will be done. The way God speaks, you know, it, you, you're not going to see in the Bible uh, anywhere where it says, uh, and, and the Lord spoke, with a sign on the back of a truck, you know, obviously you're, you're not going to see that example, but it, it goes to the importance of your own intimate walk with the Lord and understanding how he speaks to you. We know that he speaks through the word. We know he speaks through dreams. Uh, you know, we, we know that uh, sometimes he will speak audibly uh, to people, but knowing how he speaks to you uh, and, and being able to pay attention, you know, to have that ear, to hear what the spirit is saying. I remember when we were in Kenya uh, together 
a year ago, a little more than a year ago now, I guess, one of the defining aspects of the mission happened when we were leaving Nairobi, making the five or six hour drive to Kasumu. You looked over and I think it was on the on the side of a building. The um, word it was either reconciliation or restoration, something like that. I think it was reconciliation. That became one of the the theme words, and then one of the main things God was doing in our midst, and it all started with you seeing that and making that observation from the beginning. It was a sign on the wall or or, or on a building. He knows how to speak to us and get our attention. Uh, I I think I shared recently with some people. Uh, and maybe even this group that uh, for for a period of two or three months, the Lord kept speaking to me in these repeating numbers, license plates, um, the clock, almost every hour of every day, it seemed, I was seeing these repeating numbers. You know, a license plate would say 111, or, you know, 444, 9898. It was just repeating over and over. And and it was actually starting to drive me a little batty. Um, and I, I just started praying and asking the Lord to show me what he was saying. Uh, and, you know, he He was revealing to me that I was in a season of multiplication. And surely when I opened my eyes and began to look around, I saw that that's what was happening. Uh, he was multiplying certain things. And so j- just just a, a um, I don't know, uh, a a pitch for us to understand how God speaks to us individually and, and then to pay attention, you know, what is he saying when he's speaking to us? Um, so just wanted to share that. Love it. It is so personal. And, and, you know, this is an aspect of prayer. You know, I think we think about prayer in terms of what we say to God, but there's the other side of the coin is what the Lord is communicating to us. And he knows his children and he knows how we, how we hear him. I, you know, just tell a quick story. I remember <laughs> it's when I was a resident director at a Christian college. And so my, I had a young family and I had three, I was living with 300 students in this dorm. And so there's just people around me all the time. And this wasn't even when I was walking in, in the prophetic very much at all, but I would, I would literally, I would go and, to the the movies and I would choose a time. I wouldn't go with my friends. I would go when there would be no one else in the theater because I just wanted to be alone. And I just give me a Coke, give me a box of popcorn and put on a movie and I'll just chill for a little bit just to have a little alone time. Was not trying to communicate with the Lord in this particular occasion, but uh, I go to see this movie and it's an action film and I'm sitting down getting ready to watch it. And I just feel prompted from the Lord. I would like to watch this movie with you. Ask me to watch this movie with you. And so I pray a real simple prayer. Okay, Lord, watch the movie with me, please. You're more than welcome. I would love to watch the movie with you. Something like that. And at the end of the film, there's such a clear presentation of the gospel. And the Lord showed me uh, this clear revelation in my own journey. I was literally, I was weeping. And I think we can live our lives sometimes like God's not in those things. He's in the super spiritual things. He's not in the mundane. He's not in things like movies or um, food or 
you know, house chores. He is in those things. He wants to walk with us in those things. And, you know, when we're driving on the in our car to work, that can turn into a cathedral of worship and it can be a place of communion with the Father. In a moment, you know, he's close as our next breath. You know, and so I think we get into this divide in our minds of uh, this is holy and this is this is secular. Um, and we divide these things instead of just inviting God into our lives and walking with us. Um, so I think anyway, back to your point, Bernie, like we all hear him differently. Uh, and yet sometimes I just wonder if, if, if it's just a matter of, of just turning our heart to that frequency again, of just, Lord, you're with me. What are you saying to me right now? And am I open to hearing that you'd like to watch a movie with me in my case, it may be something different for you, but um, the Lord's trying to communicate with us all the time, I think. Well, it is that time. So, Father, we just want to uh, lift up the name of Jesus as we bring this meeting to a close. Lord, we thank you for what you're you're saying to us personally and to the church. And just sharing your heart, Lord, that you want to dwell with us. You long to be with us and that, that uh, you invite us in. You dwell in inapproachable light. The enemy cannot come into your presence, but you call us to boldly come before your throne of grace. And so we can dwell with you, seated with Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father because of the sacrifice and the atoning work of the Messiah. And so we worship you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the festival of Sukkot that teaches us these uh, timeless truths. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Pray that you'd be with each one this week and encourage them in their walk with you as they go along the way. All of us, Lord, that you would tune our ears, our spiritual ears to your frequency, that we could hear your voice. And just as Chantel and Shira were sharing these testimonies, Lord, that we could be in tune in step with what you're doing right in front of us each day. Pray your blessings on those who couldn't be with us tonight, Lord, on everybody that's part of the community. As we're continuing to read your word, would you put upon us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would grow in the knowledge of Yeshua in this particular urgent time and hour that we live in. We pray that we would be salt and light that would bring great glory to your name and that you would advance your kingdom and that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.